Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be playing some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2020. We start the show by speaking with Austin Ruse of CFAM, the Center for Family and Human Rights, which is a lobby group at the United Nations, about their work and, in particular, about a groundbreaking UN declaration that says that abortion is not an international human right. And then we speak with Alex Duqueto and his daughter Bethany about their family's music group, Rhythm and Grace. In our second half hour, Jason Jensen of Glass Canvas tells us all about a new platform, a new tool that will help parishes do the work of evangelization. And at the end of the program, we reconnect with Sarah Kroger and listen to music from her album, Light. We begin now with promoting life and family at the United Nations. In October 2020, governments from around the world launched a document called the Geneva Consensus Declaration. Signed by 32 countries, the declaration says that there is no global right to abortion and that abortion cannot be imposed by the United Nations because abortion is a matter of national sovereignty. The declaration further asserts that abortion can never be used as a matter of family planning and that there is no international obligation for governments to pay for abortions. Um, I think this is great news. And so to tell us more, I am now joined by Austin Ruse. He's the president of the Center for Family and Human Rights, or CFAM. Austin, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been following your work for, for many, many years now, and, and I'm very honored and, and uh, happy that you're able to join us today. Hopefully, we can have you on the program more, more often. Um, before we get into uh, the details of that declaration, can you tell us what CFAM is? Certainly. Your uh, listeners um, and your viewers will be pleased to know that CFAM was founded by Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That is good news. With, with Canadian money. Uh, it was... Uh, Golly, uh, in 1997, that uh, woman named Teresa Bell, who was running Human Life International Canada, okay. um, uh, got the idea that there needed to be uh, an organization dedicated solely to working on the life and family issues at the UN. She went to her donors, raised money, sent somebody to uh, New York and found me to, to open it. And uh, we've been doing it ever since. And we've, we've, we've had Canadian support consistently since that day. A lot of our support still comes from Canadians. Oh, that is so good to know, because at least right now, this, I wouldn't say that the Canadian government is a, is a government that might be supporting your work. Um, would you say that you're a UN lobby organization? We, we are. We okay. are. We, we are accredited uh, through the UN uh, Economic and Social Council, and we were founded uh, exclusively to participate in the life and family debate at the United Nations. Uh, with a view to making sure that there's no international right to abortion, that the family is not uh, redefined, that sexual orientation and gender identity, although those terms, that term sexual orientation and gender identity, I don't know was invented when we were founded no, in 1997. No, you know, it was so new. But, uh, but that idea, we, we were also founded to, to kind of block that idea. Okay. And uh, in all those years that we've been helping governments negotiate documents, we've been quite successful. There's yeah. no global right to abortion. The family has, is still uh, a man and woman and their children. Yeah. And sexual orientation and gender identity is not a part of international law. Yeah. So uh, the Canadians have done quite well at the UN. Oh, well, that's, that's good to know. Um, although I know 
I, I love your positive attitude, but I know it's hard work. Um, you guys are constantly, you know, uh, uphill struggles. Um, can you tell us about the declaration? Why is it so significant and why was it necessary? Well, you know, uh, the, the, it's called the Geneva Consensus Declaration. Um, and it, it says what pro-life NGOs have now been saying for a quarter of a century, mm -hmm. that there's no international right to abortion and that governments are free to make these decisions on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, it also goes further and says that the family is the fundamental group unit of society. The importance wow. of this is it's not just us saying it anymore. <laughs> uh -huh. It's governments that are saying it. And, and moreover, it's, it's 32 governments, I think now it's 33, who have decided that they were going to work together with this as, as their viewpoint. Um, you know, wow. the pressure on UN governments to, uh, to, um, to push abortion, to accept abortion, to change their laws on abortion is, is actually nonstop at the UN. So now there is a block of states that ought to be sufficient to stop it any time it comes up. You know, right. uh, years ago, three nations uh, uh, objecting in a negotiation to a particular piece of language, it would have been blocked. But that has now expanded to 30, 40, 50 or more. So the importance is this is governments doing it and it's a block of states who will work together to stop it. So let me, let me just, so to clarify, so, so historic, well, maybe not historically, but at least for the last maybe couple of decades, there's, there are specific governments or countries that are, that are pushing mm -hmm. abortions on for de for development reasons, or can you explain that? Well, the, the, you know, at the UN, we work uh, through documents. I mean, there's also funding attached to documents. Yeah. But for the most part, what we work on is is the documents themselves. And so there are governments, there are UN agencies that are trying to get abortion accepted as an international right. Uh -huh. And so they do this through binding and non-binding resolutions. And so that's the importance of this document is, is that it's 33 countries saying, we will not accept this. We will fight against this. What you're saying is untrue. There is no international right to abortion and governments are free to decide these things on their own. So that, that's the importance of this. And can this declaration, I mean, when we think of UN and we think of declaration, everybody I'm sure thinks of the declaration on human rights. Is it a declaration that can change or is this something that is permanent moving forward? Well, the declaration itself is permanent. Uh, governments, however, may come and go. I mean, let's face it. If, yes. if, if Joe Biden, in fact, you know, wins the election that is being counted right now, he very well could pull the United States out of the declaration. So, mm -hmm. so the, the, the document itself won't change. I get it. But yes. the governments may expand. It may contract. Yeah. And not to get into, I mean, obviously you're involved in, in, it's a political conversation and I don't want to get into the political conversation or the polarized conversation, but this would not have happened had there been a different administration in the United States, correct? You know, the, the, one of the shocking things to American and probably pro-lifers around the world is, is how authentically pro-life this administration has been. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we hoped that it was going to be that way. But there was no documentary evidence that, that he would govern this way. But in fact, he, he has. Um, so, um, yeah, this would not have happened under any other administration. I mean, even the Bush administration caved in on the phrase reproductive health uh, right. years ago. Yeah. So, so nobody has fought so hard as this administration has. So, yeah, it would not have happened in any, any other way. And is it significant that you mentioned the 33 countries that really most of those countries are African nations or Asian nations? Um, there's very few Western signatories to this declaration, mm -hmm. correct? 
That's right. It, it is a global document, however, because it has representation of all the regions of the world. And, okay. and that's one of the most important things at the United Nations is that initiatives uh, show that there is global appeal. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I, I, I'm so happy to be able to tell our listeners about this because I'm sure that they had not heard about it and, and hopefully that they now know that CFAM exists and they can support your work. Just briefly before we close, can you tell us what other issues you are working on? What, what else is happening in, behind the scenes at the United Nations? Well, you know, we, we are generally in the midst of negotiations every day of the year, <laughs> you know, because it's like this stuff is nonstop. Yeah. Um, so right now we're in the middle of the General Assembly and there are negotiations for a half a dozen resolutions where we're fighting precisely these issues. Wow. I mean, it, the funny thing is, is the debate we're having today is exactly the same debate that CFAM's founders had at the Cairo conference in 1994. It's wow. the exact same debate. I mean, the other side just does not stop. And so we just have to be, um, we have to persevere. We are happy warriors. Uh, we love our work. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and to me, I mean, what you've told me today is great news, but I think the most um, inspiring thing I've heard today is just your attitude and such a, that message, that positive message and that you love your work, I think makes a huge difference. And I think it shows. Um, so again, I want to encourage our listeners to check out CFAM, uh, c-fam.org. I know you guys can't do your work without support. I'm very happy to hear that there's a lot of Canadians supporting you. There is. So, uh, um, everybody go check them out and support what they do because it's absolutely great work and it's making a huge difference. Austin, so good to meet you. Thank um, you. And, I'd be and happy to come back anytime. Absolutely. Any, any time that, that there's an opportunity to, to share with people the work that needs to be done, or if you need support, let us know. And, uh, and I'm following you. I know actually maybe in the time that we have left, I know that you have people can subscribe to the Friday facts. That's right. Um, so it's, it's actually not a real fax. <laughs> it's an email. Uh, but people can also, when they go to the website, can subscribe and, and find out what the news are and what, what issues yeah. you guys are working it on. Is, uh, the Friday Facts is two uh, originally reported stories every Thursday afternoon. It's not a fax and it doesn't come out on Friday. Go figure that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it used to be a fax and come out on Friday. <laughs> but uh, two originally reported stories that really nobody else has because we're there every day. So uh, it, it keeps people informed about what's, what's, you know, the threat that's coming from the UN and how they can help. Yes. And I know that there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of half stories that, are, that we're getting from all kinds of organizations, pro-life and others all over the place. So if you really want to find out exactly what's happening at the UN, CFAM, they're the ones to tell you. So again, Austin, um, great meeting you and uh, thank you for the work that you do and for telling us about it today. Thanks for having me. The Center for Family and Human Rights, also known as CFAM, was founded, as Austin said, in 1997 to monitor and affect the social policy debate at the United Nations and other international institutions. You can go to their website to learn more, c-fam.org. Here now is Rhythm and Grace with Ocean of Mercy. Yeah.
That was Rhythm and Grace with Ocean of Mercy. Rhythm and Grace is comprised of the Duquettos, a family that loves to create and share music. Mom and Dad are Miriam and Alex, and their nine children are Caleb, Mary Grace, Bethany, Rachel, Madeline, and Monica. Their ages range from 7 to 17 years old. As we have been hearing, they play Celtic-style gospel songs, folk songs, and they also have lively instrumentals with step dancing. But everything they do is an expression of gratitude to the Lord for the gifts of life, family, and faith. And so, I'm very happy to welcome Alex Duquetto to the Salt and Light Hour. Alex, it's so good to see you. Great to see you, Deacon Pedro. Thank you so much for inviting us. Yeah, for sure. And I know with you is your daughter, Bethany. She's uh, one of the... That's right. Yeah. That's right. Welcome, Bethany. Don't want to leave you behind. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's all right. And of course, I mean, we've just explained that Rhythm and Grace is is a family, can I call it a family endeavor? Um, So I'm very happy, Bethany, that you're here with us today because we don't want just your dad talking. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah. But maybe I'll start with that same question. How did Rhythm and Grace start? Is this something that dad wanted to do and he sort of got all the kids, uh, you know, involved? Or is this something that now the kids participate in because because you want to, because you love doing it, Bethany? So we, I mean, we always kind of played music together as a family. I guess it started with just Mm -hmm. mom and dad having that love for music. And of course, they passed it on to us. And I mean, in the earlier years, I remember mainly dad giving us some some fiddle lessons a little bit um and we always sang together yeah um we would also like sing in our choir at church so that developed yeah and we would get music lessons from uh different teachers along the way yeah so that's how it all started and then eventually we yeah. So I guess, I guess it's, it, there's no point in me asking whether it was a musical household. Um, I, I, Alex, <laughs> Alex, was that something that just kind of happened just because it was a musical household? Or is this an idea that you and your wife just thought, hey, we should do something as, together as a family? Yeah, it really, it really naturally sort of progressed as the years went by. Um, as the kids took music lessons from some very gifted local teachers, you know, there's a real music culture in our area, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I would say our whole family was sure inspired by it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I do love sort of, you know, cr- uh, creating, doing creative projects. I, I've I've always enjoyed doing yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so um, you know, our, our church started doing St. Patrick's Day dinners, mm-hmm. you know, once a year dinner and entertainment, and it would call upon families from our parish to. Mm-hmm to share a few pieces. And that was, that's how, you know, some really concrete opportunities started to develop as well mm-hmm. as other, yeah. you know, yeah. sharing our music with the sisters of St. Joseph, um, right. their house in Peterborough and so on. Um, and so that's how it all started. And, and the, this community events um, started to grow in number. Um, and then about uh, mm-hmm. four or five years ago, it, it really uh, came to a new level mm-hmm. um, when we, had the idea to visit relatives in um, Victoria on Vancouver Island. Okay. You know, on the other side of the country. Yes. Um, and then Bethany, what happened? How, how did, uh, how did that all come about? Yeah. Well, I think at first we were, we were going to try. Uh, so we were trying to figure out a way to make it like financially manageable. Right. So um, at first my mom was like, Oh, we could do just like make it a camping trip. Mm-hmm. But that was obviously going to turn out to be a little bit awkward. So dad had the idea to do like 
concerts along the way. And then, um, so of course we'd have like the donation box because we weren't yet an established mm-hmm. band. So we would have that. And also uh, in exchange for the concert, you know, buttering for uh, accommodations. Right. Um, and so that's kind of how, um, that's when great. we did that trip. Yeah, that's wow. when we had our first sort of tour. And that's so we, wonderful. We did that. I didn't. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, story. it was what great. A great idea. Um, and maybe <laughs> just a reminder that it's nine children, correct? At this point. Correct. That's yes. that's right. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so we have our twelve-seater van, and everyone yeah. barreled in, and across the country we went. I love it. I love it. So, um, so Alex, when, when did you? Because I know you write songs i don't know if some of the children write music but so how did that part start when did you start thinking oh we should we should do our own music or we should start making our own videos start recording even even before so i've i've really enjoyed songwriting really ever since uh my friend billy in grade 10 introduced me to the guitar um and then you know when i met miriam her her faith my wife miriam Mm -hmm. uh her faith really inspired me and, and even within our first couple of years of knowing each other, I remember writing a song, which, which we have on one of our CDs, um, you know, that really is based on um, how I got to know Miriam's, about Miriam's relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, trying to capture, um, you know, different uh, psalms and uh, other meaningful aspects of our faith um, trying to capture that in song, you know, mm-hmm. uh, became something that I really enjoyed and, and the children really enjoyed helping with. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to our songwriting, usually I get the basics of it going, but I'll tell you, uh, the children, you know, all the accents, all the harmonies, the different instrument lines, they just run with it. Right. And I just stand back and just, and, and just, so thankful for their gifts and, and how they can turn you know a song into something really beautiful for, right for yeah it's a team effort for sure yeah so bethany how yeah. do what is what is one of what is, what does one of those sessions look like i can imagine your dad saying hey guys i got a song and then there's yeah yeah is it like chaos yeah for is sure it, what does it look like <laughs> well uh i mean it depends on the song like it has been <laughs> chaos a couple times before obviously <laughs> family life is complicated but um uh, but normally what it would look like, um, so dad would come up with, like, he'd, he'd have this inspiration for a new, like, melody or a new, uh, like, an idea for one of one of his songs. And so he'd show it to us. Um, often he'd have a little recording that he would have recorded, like, right after he got the idea. And so he'd show it to us. And we'd say, um, oh, that you know, this sounds great. Uh, we could do like this. We could add these instruments to it we think it could use some harmonies here or throughout the whole thing or that type of thing. Um, and then, I mean, over the course of a couple of weeks, I guess we would have kind of an idea for, mm-hmm. for what we wanted the song to sound like. So, yeah. And then we'd, of course, we'd sit down and we'd write a couple of instrument parts for it. Um, yeah. So that's something that Mary Grace and I, my older sister and I, we, um, we like taking charge of that and uh, we find it something we enjoy doing, writing the different parts and filling out the song like that. Yeah, but it, it's a team effort for yeah. sure from everyone. Does anyone, yeah. does, is there anyone else who writes any of the music ever? Well, um, we've had ideas from, from uh, a lot of our siblings before. The younger ones haven't yeah. co- contributed that much yet, of course. But uh, also our older brother likes to do that type of thing with us. And um, a couple of my younger sis- sisters, um, 
one of my younger sisters actually has written a couple of fiddle tunes before. Nice. Um, nice. So yeah, they they all enjoy getting in, getting in yeah, on it. Yeah, that's great. So let me ask you about the the fiddle. So you guys, you, you said that you you describe your music as Celtic gospel. Um, that's right. But I mean, we have song titles like Hay Bales that doesn't really sound like gospel. So is there a distinction between some of the more secular stuff that you do and some of the religious stuff that you do, would you say, Alex? Or would you say that it's all part of the same ministry? Um, I really would say it's all part of the same ministry. Um, mm -hmm. Some are more directly gospel and that, you know, a number of our songs um, could possibly be used as a, as a hymn in, 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 uh, during Mass. Yeah. Um, or at a you know, a, a special retreat kind of occasion, that kind of thing. Um, whereas uh, our more pure folk songs, um, they're kind of where our, our faith is, is living in action, you know, in uh, sort of embracing, embracing the moment, the duty of the moment in, in mm -hmm. the context of our family life and understanding that, uh, you know, when we're loving each other and um, being there for each other, we're, you know, we're loving the Lord at the same time, mm -hmm. sort of the duty of the moment. So yes, we really, we certainly don't see them as distinct. And as we share our music across the country, um, we've, we've always found that people really appreciate that variety. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and often our sure. folk songs, you know, they kind of capture a real story, you know, from something yeah. in our family life that's some, something to really be treasured. Right. No, and I can imagine that that's, I mean, it's the music, you know, we don't have, they don't all have to be love songs to Jesus for them to be reflecting who you are as, as Christians, exactly, as yeah. Catholic, right? Um, maybe yeah. just in, in closing, because I know that you have a ton of songs, you record music, you have music videos. Is there, are there bigger plans here or, or is there going to be like some major album? Um, what, what are the plans for, for, the, for Rhythm and Grace in the years to come? Um. We, uh, we, we are in conversation with a music publisher mm -hmm. that makes music available for the churches to subscribe to, mm -hmm. for, um, to use during mass. We, we, we have written a mass setting. Oh, nice. Well, that we've used, uh, at our parish for the past few years. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, we, we are launching, you know, a new, um, music video very soon. That's, uh, focused on vocations. It's called there is joy. Um, and uh, basically, you know, the, the gist of the song is there is joy in serving the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, that we did in collaboration with uh, the, the uh, vocations director in our diocese. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting. First week of November, okay. we'll be launching. We'll be launching that. Um, I must say, you know, we have two CDs and we do have enough material for two more CDs already. Um, that's I, I just find I just find whenever I give the kids a little something to work on, I'm just, <laughs> what they create is just just amazing and so um you know and the kids are growing up and they'll be deciding to go off to school here and there but the enthusiasm right down to our four and six year olds is is really strong for the music mm -hmm. so i see it continuing in our family life for a long time and then it'll be interesting to see how yeah. the kids sort of on an individual take it further so mm -hmm. it's it's definitely a vocation yeah. within our within our family uh within our family uh journey yes um, that we just um, are thrilled to, to be on this journey absolutely and it sounds like even though you might not have firm plans that there's still a lot left to do and a lot more to come so it's been really good having you both in the program alex Daketo and bethany um thank you for telling us a little bit about 
not just your work and, and your music, but your family. I mean, what a great story. Um, so I hope our listeners are excited, Absolutely. as excited as I am, and that they'll check you guys out, your videos and your, your ministry and your music. Uh, so take care. Yes. Bye-bye. Yeah, thank you so much. Great, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. God bless you. Bye. You can learn more about Rhythm and Grace at their website, rhythmandgracemusic.com. Here now to take us out is Rhythm and Grace with Hey Bales. I was hanging outside with my two-year-old brother, playing with a ball and stick. He looked at me and motioned with his little chubby finger. It was time to pay the horses a visit. And then he saw it. He was in awe of it. Resting in the valley, it was a beautiful sight to behold. And then he saw it. He was in awe of it. Resting in the valley, it was a beautiful sight to behold. So we started down the lane, we were heading for them horses, but he had something else on his mind. Those sweet round bales, oh so perfectly proportioned, were now the apple of his eye. We're listening to Rhythm and Grace with Hay Bales. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can check out our website at slmedia.org slash podcast. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. If you've ever been in parish ministry or working for your diocese, you know how much we struggle to stay on mission. And by that, I mean the mission to make disciples. Most parishes have the pews full on Sundays, but of those weekly mass goers, maybe 10% are actually engaged with the parish or are on any meaningful faith journey. And as a deacon, I can tell you that half the time, we don't even know how to connect with them. And and we're so busy providing programs, catechetical programs, RCIA, sacramental prep, that it leaves no time for the actual mission. And again, the mission to make disciples, um, missionary disciples, the way Pope Francis calls them. But now there is a tool that is specifically designed to help parishes and dioceses with this work. And it is called the TILMA platform, And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Jason Jensen. He's the CEO of Glass Canvas. Jason, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, So what is the Tilma platform? So uh, Tilma is um, a very interesting thing in that it's it's digital infrastructure that powers a series of interconnected websites and tools. Mm -hmm. So it helps you understand and manage people, content, and events across an entire diocese, so parishes and, and other websites. And it creates uh, a, a lot of efficiencies in communicating to parishes and parishioners across the diocese. It manages things like sacramental data and donation data uh, better than any other software that's available to the church right now. Right. But what makes Tilma unique and different is its ability to create personalized ministry journeys to those parishioners across the diocese. And our goal is to lead them to an opportunity for an encounter with Jesus. So, so it's obviously, it's not just a website or an app or 
it's is it fair to say that it's the software helps integrate a lot of the things that maybe in a parish or a diocese are working separately so even accounting you mentioned databases um is that kind of the idea that it's kind of helping parishes integrate these things that are usually operating you know in silos yeah um absolutely and probably the best way for me to explain sort of the power of how it would work is i'll, I'll tell a story so yeah yeah. It, it does do accounting and stuff, but it more gives the, the, we're not replacing accounting software that's, you know, really sophisticated, but it, it'll give them the information that they need to do it really well. But let me tell you a story about um, one type of ministry journey that kind of integrates this whole part. So if yeah. you think of something like marriage prep, mm -hmm. uh, the way that kind of happens is there's this paper form and then it's sort of, if it's done, uh, if it's administered at a diocesan level, it's like a back and forth, yeah. back and yeah. forth. Um, but our goal is for Tilma to run like this, you know, for, for a, uh, a diocese to have Tilma work like this in cohesion with the parish so that it's, you fill out as a couple who's just, um, and let's, let's use the example of sort of a nominal couple. They're Catholic, they're coming, but the, mm -hmm. this idea yeah. of the mission hasn't really set no, no, no. in with them. Yeah. Uh, they're sacramentalized, but they're not evangelized. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so they register on their Tilma uh, platform and right then, they give us all the data that we need to understand them, when they're going to get married, kind of who they are, you know, sort of how often, where they're, where they're engaging with their faith or not. And then what do we do with that data? So in the Tilma ecosystem, uh, we can send that to the pastor so he can sort of have a good gauge. But we can also then start dripping them content and nudging them towards, say, a vision for what you know, a Catholic marriage could look like mm -hmm. and the beauty of it explained in terms that they kind of understand that's not, you know, sort of churchy language or stuff like that. And they can have, you know, three or four or five emails as they go into marriage prep, um, which is obviously oftentimes run at the diocesan level and they have an experience of marriage prep. Right. But then imagine on their wedding day, if a bishop or somebody in charge of the marriage ministry at a diocese could send them a really thoughtful email. Mm -hmm. Hey, we're so excited that you've chosen a sacramental marriage and, you know, um, right. We can really yeah. give them positive, positive pieces. And uh -huh. then, then we shouldn't leave them. We can keep moving on with them. So six months into their marriage, we can say, Hey, the best time to, uh, to kind of tweak stuff and get your marriage on course for something that's going to make you holy and happy for the rest of your life is this newly married course that we might have mm -hmm, at the diocese mm -hmm. or this workshop or, you know, or this retreat or things that the diocese is often doing already. Um, but we're just not connecting them. And on the other side of what Tilma is, is we have this part of the, the Tilma ecosystem that we call proclaim, which is, gathering disciples and teaching them the skills to evangelize and um, make an impact in their world. Now imagine if a system could tell you, hey, here's a married couple that's trained and evangelized. Here's a newlywed couple that is seeking to have deep and meaningful uh, felt needs about mm -hmm. how to grow their marriage. And they kind of have caught a glimpse of it. They've been nudged into a bigger reality than they might've been aware of. And now we're able to connect the two, this disciple couple yeah, yeah, with yeah. this original couple. And so Tilma has the ability to create that ministry journey and then a whole bunch of others. So yeah, yeah, think of, I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I can think of that couple become, they become parents, they want to baptize. So then you, they're plugged into, you know, bap, 
baptism uh, or sacramental prep or everything, everything else that follows. Um, uh, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense to me because it's that integration that I think that that is missing or that requires so much effort if you have to mm-hmm. do it manually or, yeah. or sometimes it's impossible to do actually. Um, yeah. yeah. Oftentimes like these, these, you know, unconnected or disconnected technologies, it's like, where, where does the handoff happen so that this yeah. person is well taken care of? And uh, the, the beauty is, uh, you know, the potential that we could have if we could see the whole journey of a person. And our philosophy is to think steps, not programs. Yeah. Programs are super important, but they could only be like one step on the way and figuring yeah. out like, oh, if we can get them there, then where do they go from there? And how do we yeah. keep journeying with no, somebody? And you're right. And you can't have programs to fit everybody's, you know, life journeys so you can only have so many programs um uh, it makes perfect sense to me because um like i said in the introduction half the time we don't even know how to connect with people even the fact that people don't we don't even have their email address i mean right now with covid and 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 we're down to 30 percent of of people attending mass we can't even we don't even know how to communicate with them to let them know that there is mass and here's how you register and you can come and it's safe because we don't we don't have that that contact and people don't have the mindset that they so I love the idea that you wanna you wanna get married, register online, give us your email, and then we start collecting that information and getting people into the mindset also that that's how they communicate with the parish or with the diocese also. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do how if I'm in a parish, if my pastor or someone wanted to be you know learn more or see how this could work for our parish, what do people do? What do I do? Yeah, so they can go to tilmaplatform.com and check it out. And we actually have two different ways for somebody to enter in. So we have this, our main goal is to get a whole diocese sort of connected and interconnected. Right. But we've created great tools just for parishes as well in a parish website that can manage content. And early next year, we'll have a relationship management software just at the parish level available. And pastors, we're making it um, up until the end of the year is just pay what you can for for parishes. So So there's a different kind of way for a, uh, a pastor at a parish to say, hey, I want, I want part of that. And if they join, they'll still ha- be connected to all the content that's available on the platform. That's so great. They're not yeah, sort of disconnected and, and left no, alone. No, that's good to know because I know for a lot of pastors, cost is always an issue, especially this year. Um, so, and, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because it, part, part of me was thinking, well, this kind of doesn't make sense unless the whole diocese subscribes to it. To, to the platform, but if you have the ability for some parishes, and I guess maybe to be connected with the other parishes in the diocese or the neighboring par- diocese that are also connected uh, would, would be possible. Okay, so this is really useful information. Um, I hope that there's a lot of people in parish ministry, pastors, uh, associate pastors, uh, bishops listening. Um, and I know that one of your biggest clients is the Archdiocese of Vancouver. So if people really want to find out, contact the Archdiocese of Vancouver and find out how, how, they, how it's working for them. Um, Jason, right. um, thank you so much for sharing this information with us and for, for doing the work that you do. I know that this is just one platform that you guys at Glass Canvas uh, have developed and worked on. But I know that you're, you know, the, the, the service that you provide the church um, that is always struggling to, to kind of catch up with the real world, <laughs> with the professional world. Um, so it's great to have professionals like you and your team um, helping, helping the church. D- That's you know, my do, pleasure. Do, do, do our mission, you know, fulfill our mission in, in, the, way that, in the best way that we can. Um, so thank you very much. Um, and uh, 
keep up the good work. I hope to hear more from you guys. Thank you so much. Okay, God bless. Jason Jensen is the CEO of Glass Canvas, an agency that specializes in strategy, marketing, and digital experiences for parishes and ministries. You can learn about them and about the Tilma platform at tilmaplatform.com. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Sarah Kroger, with I Will Say Yes from her new album, Light. I'm sorry, Lord, for holding on to time For thinking you won't endlessly supply I'm sorry for not seeing through your eyes You've been ended with your
That was Sarah Kroger with I Will Say Yes from her new album, Light. Now, we last spoke with Sarah Kroger just in June this year, and uh, she was still working on the new album, Light, but we got a sneak peek of two of the new tracks. And well, Light is now out. And so we thought it would be super good to listen to more music and to talk to Sarah Kroger about it. So I'm just happy to welcome Sarah Kroger back to the Salt and Light Hour. Sarah. Thanks for having me. I, I feel know. very privileged to be on so I soon know. after the last time. Twice, <laughs> twice in one year and just a, a matter know. of months. Um, so you know what? I'm, I want to talk about the album, but I, I read something okay. that you sent me that I didn't know about you and I want to ask you about it. You, it's you, in your little, little Q and a bio thing that you sent. Yeah. Um, it says that you're passionate about writing songs about remembrance. Hmm. Why? I didn't know that about <laughs> you. Well, this is a really interesting thing that I've been praying into. Um, just this idea that worship really at its basic Uh, premise or basic form is just songs of remembrance, right? Because I feel like I'm a very forgetful person in a lot of ways. I need to be reminded constantly of who I am in the Lord and who God is Um, because this world is bombarding us with what that we need to basically just all these crazy ideas of like that we have to achieve or accomplish things in order to be known or loved or seen, but Mm -hmm. really at the basic at, at the basis of everything is our identity as a beloved children of God. And so that's really what I feel like worship is all about is just songs of remembrance. That's interesting. You know? Cause that's a, I, I, I don't know if you've heard this, but that's a very Christian, like mystical and, and it's very Jewish too. the whole concept of, rem- I mean, the mm-hmm. anamnesis of remembering of, right. of, 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 I mean, we don't remember the Eucharist. We may, it's made present again, so in that sense, uh, that's just, I'm going to, ha- you've given me some food for thought there. I'm going to have to meditate on, on that for a bit. And I'm that's sure we'll beautiful. talk about it again. Um, I, I know we spoke about the album in, in June, Light. You were still yeah. working on it. And I'm curious to know now that it's out and you probably feel like there's this weight off your shoulders. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you feel differently about it now than you did in June? That's a really good question. And it's something that I've been praying through, honestly, um, leading up to this album release. I think one of the biggest things that I keep coming back to is, is the fact that um, God knows <laughs> far more than we do. <laughs> and in the sense for me, like I, I never, ever anticipated releasing an album called light in the midst of a year that feels so dark, right? Right. Like I never planned for that. That wasn't the plan. I was praying about what this album was going to be called and light just kept kind of coming up in prayer. And so we were just like, all right, let's lean into that. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't know why I knew a lot of the songs had this kind of thematically like light mixed throughout. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of leaned into that, but I really feel like God is trying to speak something through that title for a very specific reason in my life, at least, Mm -hmm. and maybe in the lives of others is just remembering, reminding us Uh of the light that even in the midst of a season that feels so dark, um, the light can't be overcome and will never be overcome and will never leave us, you know? So I've been really praying into that. Yeah. And again, it's such a, such a Christian message. Um, yeah. It, it, was there anything different for you in, in, in this album in terms of either the process of, of 
producing it. I know you, you had some collaborations, songwriting collaborations, but also in, in producing. Uh, what, what was different about it for you? Yeah, so I had three different producers on this record, actually, mm -hmm. which was definitely different for me. I'm used to just working with one, um, but it was really fun creatively. I feel like in all aspects, whether through production or through song arranging or just the songs themselves, writing the songs, um, I wrote with like every writer that was on this record was new. I had never met them before. So there was a lot of newness in this, uh, in this album uh -huh. that I feel like really translates through the songs and just the energy and vibrancy that's on the record in general. It's just very, a lot of light. <laughs> you can, know? I, can I ask you about that, that co-writing? Did, how did you, is it the label that, that helps you or suggests people that you co-write with, or did you, how did you come across these people that you'd never met before? Do you, yeah. how does that happen? Well, it was, yeah, it was primarily the label that I'm with. They have like a person whose entire job is to set you up with co-writes. So um, last year, last fall, I, I went to Mike Murray, who's the guy who sets up the co-writes and said, fill my calendar. And he did. Oh <laughs> so my gosh. Wow. I just wrote um, a ton. And back, back last fall, I was traveling a lot. So I would travel on the weekends, come home, write all week, travel on the weekends, do the same thing. So wow. it was kind of a crazy time, um, but it was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. And, I, and it's interesting. I think, and I think I said the same thing to you about Bloom, if you remember a year ago. Was that a year ago? Just a yeah, year ago? Yeah, just over a year ago. Yep. That's awesome. Um, yeah. That, that there's a freshness, you know, it's like, mm. it's a Sarah Kroger that I hadn't heard before mm. um, in a good way. And I yeah. think part of it is because you're working with different writers, but, but also yeah. not because they're bringing something new, but they're, they're bringing something out of you that's new. Totally. Yeah. I think in the last several years, I've been able to find my voice in a way that I, hadn't when I was younger from with my first two albums, I was very new, had no idea what I was doing and didn't really know what I wanted to sound like or, or what I wanted to communicate. I was really relying on other mentors in my life to kind of help me with that. But this process has been just a process of finding my voice in a new way. So it's been really fun. You're getting old. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm in my thirties. So I guess that's getting old. Wow. I know. Um, um I, uh, I saw in your new website, by the way, sarahkroger.com for people Very to check snazzy. it out. People should um, check it out. You're, you're, you and your husband are, are doing some fun projects or a project for Advent. Can you tell us about that? We are. Thanks for asking about that, actually. Um, so we wanted to, my husband and I do a lot of ministry throughout the year um, normally in mm -hmm. non-COVID times. He's a speaker and I'll lead worship. Um, so we'll, we do a lot nice. of parish mission type things. Um, but it really wasn't on the docket for this year for obvious reasons. And, mm -hmm. and, but we still wanted to contribute to the church. We know that there's a lot of churches who have seen tithing going down because not a lot of people are coming back right now. They're still nervous about being in churches or not able to. And so we wanted to be able to offer churches the opportunity to offer something still for Advent. And so we pre-recorded um, an Advent mission and they have mm -hmm. the option of either streaming it as a one night thing or as a four night, four nights with the season of Advent. And we also open it up to families. So individual families can have so access can to it, it as well. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, so. And people can go to your website and find that out. So, yeah. so it, it's your husband and it's Dom, Dom Quaglia. Dom Quaglia. Um, he does the speaking and you're doing some of the worship. So there's music as well as yep. 
teaching. Okay, great. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah and then there's written material that goes that to goes with deeper it. reflection for the week. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, yeah. I can't let you go without asking you, because I know you guys are always writing are you already thinking about the next i don't want to i don't want to like already start yeah. thinking about the next one because we are barely just listening to the to this one no now. i get it's it it's good stuff but i you know something to yeah look to, or you're already thinking about what's next well there's a lot of things in the works um for me personally i'm taking a little bit of a break right now i just feel like my brain is a little bit all over the place but okay. i'm a part of a worship collective called village lights um okay. that's brand new it's with me and ike and dolo and ricky vasquez okay. yeah. catholic artists and uh we recorded three songs last month and we're going to be releasing those in the new year so be on the lookout for that Okay, good. So lots of good stuff. Actually, yeah. Ike, Ike is one that I have never been able to get on this program. So maybe this is the, oh, the excuse. Totally. Uh, to, Let's do uh, it. Yes, yes. Send, we could do trivia up. with Village Lights or something. Oh, that'd be fun. <laughs> the three of you together. Exactly. I know. There you go. Sarah's alluding to our listeners that might not be familiar with a show that I'm hosting called Make a Joyful Noise and uh, in its Catholic trivia. And she did so very fun. well, I must say. Oh, gosh. It was a lot of fun. We learned a lot that day, that's for sure. Yeah, anyway, definitely. <laughs> um, Sarah, it's good to, good to hear from you. Good to see you. And Thanks uh, for having me again. I'm, I'm glad really the album it. is out. It's good stuff. And, and uh, I hope our listeners uh, enjoyed the tracks that we played today and that they want to hear more so they can check you out and uh, get the album. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, as mm. always. You're welcome. Take care. You can learn more about Sarah Kroger and get her album, Light, at her website, sarahkroger.com. Here now is Sarah Kroger with No Fear in Love from her new album, Light.
listening to Sarah Kroger with No Fear in Love from her album Light. And that concludes this special best of edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, slmedia.org, in order to find out everything that you need to know about us and how you can support our ministry. We can't do what we do without your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Write to me to say hello. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro.